Hi friends and welcome back to She Who Chats, the show where I chat about anything and everything. Today's episode is our documentary episode and we have Taylor joining us today to chat about the documentary Being British East Asian. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself to begin with? Hey, I'm Taylor. I'm half British and half Venezuelan. I'm 20 years old and I'm currently studying international business and in my final year. This documentary, Being British East Asian, is currently available on BBC iPlayer for eight more months. It's only three episodes and it takes less than an hour to watch all of them. So this is what it says in the description for the documentary. Elaine Chong reveals what British East Asians think about their bodies and their lives. She explores the struggles they face caught between the cultures of West and East. So I myself am British East Asian. As Taylor mentioned, she's half British, half Venezuelan. In this documentary, they're talking about the struggles of being caught between these two cultures. Yeah. It starts with talking a bit about yellow fever, which is the desire to date specifically Asian women just for their race. Yeah, because they find them more exotic, like the documentary said. Yeah. I think they mentioned that if they had an Oriental person and then a Caucasian person, that a person would always go for the Oriental person. Yeah. And even in like the Latin community, I feel like because we were kind of suppressed by like white supremacy as like they were, you know, the leaders more or less. There's phrase in Spanish, which is like mejorar la raza, which means to improve the race. So that kind of means that you date a white person to improve the race, like to improve the features and stuff like that. Yeah. It does mention in the documentary a little bit saying that, you know, we looked up to our white colonists. Yes. You know, like how they were talking about, I think it was the Filipinos. They were like how this, like more morena, which is actually the word that we use in Spanish as well. I tend to find that the Filipino language is quite similar to our language. Because obviously our ancestors, the Spanish ancestors, went there as well and colonised there. So when they meant that like their skin is like more morena, like we like the same thing. Whereas like sometimes it's better to look lighter than darker in the Latin community. Yeah, that's true in quite a lot of different cultures. I think the only one that's that's not so apparent in is the Caucasian cultures because... In Britain, for example, you want to be more tanned. That is more of the social... Appeal. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the goal here is to be more tanned, and that's when you have all that fake tan and stuff. But in Asian cultures, and as you said, like other cultures, the goal is usually to be lighter. Yeah. And you have the opposite thing, where you have fake tan here, and you have skin bleach lightening products in other cultures. Yeah, I saw like a bunch of documentaries specifically like in Asia where they felt like they've had like no other option because they felt that if like if they were lighter skinned, it would give them more opportunities. Yeah. And also like the products are really bad for you. It's awful. They have like I think it's like mercury in them. And it's like sometimes they don't even know what they're getting into themselves. But yeah, like those things are never hundred percent safe, but that is the standard. So if you want to get that, that's the only way you can do that. Mm. And I found this article a while back. It's called When Asian Women Are Harassed for Marrying Non-Asian Men. Yeah. And the whole article is talking about society's response to Asian women marrying outside their own race. Yes. And in the article, it talks about people when they see a woman who has married outside her own race, 
and they say that that woman hates herself, she hates her race, she hates her children as well, because she's having children with someone who's not from her own race. Mm. There was an example of a woman in that article and she was getting death threats. Her children were getting threatened as well, which is horrendous. It's awful. Like, it's just disgusting that people think that they can, like, say these stuff without having, like, any responsibility. But I tend to find that as well. Like, other races have similar issues where, like, they kind of feel like they've been suppressed all this time so that if you date, like, someone from another race, they're like, but why are we not enough? That's like the question that I feel like a lot of people ask, like, are we not good enough? And it's not that, it's just like, you love the other person, no matter like what gender they are. Yeah. And I think this article talks specifically about British Asian, Asian American, which I think in the article it was saying that, you know, there isn't much choice because obviously the majority of the population is Caucasian. And then the few people that you do know from your own race are more likely to be your own family members. So it gets to the point where you're seeing people from your own race as family rather than a prospect. Yeah, that's true. So going back to the documentary. So there's this guy called Arlene London, who I had no idea who he was until Taylor brought it up. (laughs) Yeah, I know a lot about him because I've listened to K-pop for a number of years now. And then he's kind of showed up on the scene like not that long ago. So basically, he's a guy from Britain who is obsessed with BTS, specifically Jimin from BTS. Like he is obsessed with him. He wants to be him. He wants to marry him. He actually did marry a card cut out of him in Las Vegas. And an Elvis impersonator officiated the wedding. So he's like obsessed. Uh-huh. He also wears like a ring with like his bath down it because he wants to feel spiritually connected to him. It's just very bizarre, to be completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> so in the documentary, they went and spoke to him. And they also went with him for one of his operations or one of his procedures, rather. It was to get more so monolid eyes, to get the more Asian eyes. How do you feel about him? I found him unbearable. <laughs> Me too. Because I rewatched this last night and while I was watching the second episode, which he's in quite a lot of, he was just making me angry. He came across as very arrogant as well. Like him, the doctor, they were kind of like confronting the woman and she was just asking questions. There was three Caucasian people going against this one woman who she has personal experience of it and they're telling her, no, that's not true, which that's not your place to say that, you know? Mm. But at the start, when they introduced him, he was going, oh, I've been to Japan, I've been to Korea, I've lived here for however long, as if that gave him the right to say all of these things. Like he's justifying it, but it's not the same because you don't really understand like no matter how many like he didn't even live there for that long no and the thing is it's different when you like live there and then when you have like actual family from there because like you'll know the culture better because you grew up with it yeah yeah and also living there as a caucasian person is not going to give you the same experience no i don't think it is yeah and also the issues that she was talking about elaine was being Asian in a Caucasian country, which is, you know, that's not what he did. It's the complete opposite, actually. It's actually like the reverse. Yeah. I feel like he does this for attention, but also now he's like 
made this k-pop career i say in quotation marks because it's not really k-pop yeah i was gonna say because he says that he is k-pop that's his genre and such but obviously all the songs that he sings they're in english because yeah he's not korean (laughs) and i i did look this up yesterday but i was thinking k-pop that's just korean pop music right korean popular music yeah so you go to japan you get j-pop you get c-pop for chinese pop it's just popular music so a lot of people in the k-pop don't like that word like k-pop because like then they include like you know like r&b music they'll say oh yeah that's k-pop that categorizes k-pop and it's not even in the same context so a lot of people like why can't you just call it for what it is like it's korean pop and then this is korean r&b I know some people don't typically like the fact that it's all categorized under K-pop because they're like, well, why are you just making it into like this whole category when in the Western countries they have it as like pop, R&B and things like that. It's basically the same over there, but it's just in Korean. Yeah, because that's what I thought. And I looked at Wikipedia, which might not be the best source, but <laughs> it was saying that K-pop on its own is kind of a genre now that mixes like jazz, R&B, pop. Yeah. So they've made it kind of become their own genre, but it also doesn't quite make sense because obviously it is just pop music, which means that Ollie London singing in English and not being Korean can't be K-pop if it's not in Korean. Well, exactly. Like, so, you know, like in these like award shows and, me- and like music shows that they do in Korea, mm-hmm. if a song is primarily in English or if a song doesn't have any Korean in it, they can't promote it. So, you know, like BTS had the song Dynamite that came out like, Quite recently, like a couple months ago. Yeah. They weren't able to promote it on the music shows. I've never seen Ollie London go on these music shows because A, I don't think that a lot of people know who he is. And if they know who he is, they're like, he's not really a K-pop star. But also because his music's in English, he won't be able to go on these music shows. Yeah. I understand him wanting to be in the idol culture because that is a massive thing. Yeah. And that makes sense because that's more of wanting to be a celebrity. But rather, he's like, I am K-pop, like, I am Korean music. And it just doesn't make sense because he doesn't even sing in Korean, let alone is Korean. But also as well, like, the whole thing about, like, K-pop and, like, the K-pop industry is the fact that these idols have to go through, like, years and years of training. Some of them don't have Korean, they're just Asian. So, like, you know, in Blackpink, you have Lisa, who's fully Thai, but she speaks Korean. She's, like, fluent in it. She speaks, like, a lot of languages. There's like actually quite a few Thai idols now. Mm, there's quite a few who are Chinese as well. Yeah, I feel like that's fine because they're kind of in like the same culture. They've like learned the Korean culture. They speak Korean. Mm-hmm. And it's taken them a while to get there. Yeah. So Ollie London, he seemed quite argumentative and he seemed like he did seem very arrogant. He's very standoffish as well. Like, he feels like people are, like, attacking him. Yeah. And, like, I see online, like, if someone... That isn't, like, the most friendliest, but he will go all in on them, like, comment-wise. I watched this uh, video on YouTube, and this girl had said something to Ollie London, being like, hey, I I wouldn't really consider you, like, K-pop or something. I think it was, like, along those lines. And then he came back being like, oh, but you're Muslim and things like that, and started saying stuff about, like, her religion. And it had nothing to do, like, her comment. And I was like, but what are you doing that for? She only said that she didn't necessarily like you. You don't need to, like, bash her because she wears a hijab and things like that. Yeah. 
he just seems really rude to me and almost like he has yellow fever to such an extreme extent that he wants to be asian so like i don't understand it personally but you know what if it if it makes him happy go for it yeah it's his own body after all he can do what he wants to it but exactly there's no need to bash other people in the process exactly Moving on, so he had the surgery to make his eyes look more like Asian eyes, so he had collagen injected into his eyelids to give him more of a droop, Mm. which, as we mentioned before, is the opposite of what Asian people do. They tend to dislike monolids. Yeah, they want the double eyelids. Mm. So this is very much an Asian beauty standard thing. Uh, It doesn't have any physical issues. It's not something that needs to be corrected exactly. Yeah. It's just a beauty thing. I know a lot of people get it as like a present after they finish like graduating high school. Interesting. Yeah, I tend to find that with like a lot of K-pop idols, they tend to like get the double eyelid surgery. But also for some reason, like if you naturally have like double eyelids, you kind of get praised for it. They're like, oh, I can't believe that you naturally have that. Yeah, that is a massive thing. Mm. But it's weird because like the the only thing it does really is it makes you kind of look like you've got bigger eyes and rounder eyes. And that is the beauty stand, big round eyes. Yes. And you can also get these contact lenses, which are designed to make your eyes look larger. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are big in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Which is odd. But like as a kid, being British East Asian, a big thing was that kids used to bully people for having Asian eyes. And that is a thing that Elaine says to Ollie London, who does not take it very well. Did you ever have that? Yeah, yeah. So there was a kid's rhyme a while ago. I don't know if it's still a thing now, but it goes Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees. Look at these Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees. Sorry, what? Yeah. (laughs) And it had actions to go with it. So when they said Chinese, they put their eyes backwards and then dirty knees, put their hands on knees, stuff like that. And that was just a thing. That was just a thing that kids did in like primary school, which as a kid, you don't really think of as a big thing. Like, Look, now that you think about it, kids are mean. Oh, yeah. I would be like called out for like having, because you know, I have like big eyes. Mm-hmm. So people would like say stuff about me because I had like big eyes. They'd be like, you look like an owl and stuff like that. And I was 36 just being like standing there like, okay, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> but now like, I'm fine with them. Like, I still, I mean, I like them either way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But like, it would be kind of like hurtful comments, you know? Yeah, because this was just a thing that kids did. And obviously, as a kid, you're not really aware of these kind of things. Mm. And you just went along with it. Yeah. But like, even though this wasn't that much of an issue to me now, like looking back on it, it's just really odd. And, you know, it's weird that kids would know this because obviously someone would have to teach them it. And apparently the dirty knees is referring to Chinese immigrants, saying that they're unclean, unkempt kind of thing. They must have learned it from somewhere, like their parents or something. Exactly. Kids aren't naturally racist. It's something that's passed on. So it's learned somewhere. It's learned behaviour. Exactly. Like, they'll listen to something, they'll hear it, and then they'll repeat it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with a kid just repeating things because that's natural. But the thing is, you've got to teach them that that's wrong and not to keep doing it. Exactly. If it's like a continuous thing over the years, it's still like a trend. They need to be like stopped. Yeah, there was also the fox eye trend on, I think, mostly TikTok. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I heard about it on Instagram. Yeah, it's mostly just where you 
pull your eyes back a little and up. The idea is to lift your eyes because there is a fox eye lift surgery. Yes. I know that a lot of models like Bella Hadid and Kendall Jenner now have like the fox eye thing because they've made it trendy. Yeah, but the issue there is that this trend, so to call it, Mm. was something that's used to bully people. Yeah. And for it to become a trend is just a bit problematic. It's kind of ironic because like before they were like telling people, oh, you look ugly and stuff like that and mimicking them. But now they want to be them. So how <laughs> how does that make sense? Exactly. Like now that K-pop and stuff have become popular, suddenly that's what they want to become. And now it's a trend. Yeah. Like it's better to be ethnic, but they say, or, or exotic. That's the words that they prefer to use now. Yeah. So moving on, Mm. Asian beauty standards, which was mentioned quite a bit throughout the documentary, especially in the last episode. Yes. There's this really strong culture of you have to be really super skinny, but also the love language is that you feed people. So, you know, family members, your mothers, grandmothers, they will always feed you. That is the culture. Yeah. Which obviously doesn't make sense together because you can't be super skinny and also constantly fed. It just doesn't make sense. Exactly. I feel like in that aspect, we're very similar because like in Latin America, grandmas will feed you and then be like, oh, do you want another round? You're like, you're too skinny. Like you need to, you need to eat more. And then if you're not like skinny, they'll be like, oh, what have you been eating? Like you're, you're very like fat. And you're like, well, what do you want me to feed? Yeah. I'm too skinny. I'm too fat. I'm not in the middle. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're either too skinny and they're like, you're not being fed. Yeah. Someone's not feeding you. You're not eating enough. Or it's, you've eaten too much. You need to stop eating. You need to lose weight. Yeah. It's very hard to maintain a balance in the middle (laughs) because there isn't really one. Exactly. Yeah. And they spoke about the A4 paper challenge, which I'd never heard of before, but that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Honestly, I was like, excuse me? And like when when they put the paper like landscape, I was like, okay, that landscape makes more sense. But then they put it portrait, which is the way that it's put. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but as Elaine mentioned mm. in the documentary, she said she's 5'9", which she's the same height as me. Mm. So with a lot of Asian clothing, for example, all of the clothing are in smaller sizes, which they did also mention, for example, a small in the UK would probably be a medium or a large. Yeah. And most of the times you don't find clothing for any larger sizes. They just don't carry it. Can you find clothes? Like when you go to Asia, can you like buy clothes or no? (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Oh my God. So I'm 5'9", and I'd say I'm verging on the skinnier side. Yeah. But because I'm so tall, obviously if you're tall, you need to have a slightly larger frame because your body needs to support itself. It needs to be proportionate. That's just how bodies work. Yeah. So because I'm 5'9", all the clothes are super tiny, and because the Asian average is normally a lot shorter, mm. they don't carry clothes that are designed for tall people because it is very much in the minority. Yeah. So I have been to a couple of Asian stores, like when I go to Hong Kong and I have a look at the clothes, and they're all really nice, but I can't find any that fit me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But like, I'm very average here. 
like even height wise like maybe i'm slightly on the taller side but it's still fairly average i would say you're tall just because i'm like five two five three so <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm tall next to you yeah <laughs> yeah in that bit they said the average height for an asian woman was five one yeah so you know us being five nine that's massive difference and yeah, there's no clothing that fits us. Even if you are on a skinny side, because of the height, it's just it's not possible to fit in any of it. Yeah. So they also mentioned mukbangs. Yeah. Which it is a big thing, but I find it really uncomfortable to watch. Like even that what one minute clip they had in the documentary, I found so uncomfortable I couldn't watch it. There's like some people that like bingey and then won't eat for like a day or two. Like, they do this and I'm like that's awful because they have like massive plates of food I would not be able to do that sometimes people if they feel like overweight they will decide to watch mukbangs and then that way get satisfaction because it feels like they're eating with them but I know sometimes that people feel like alone so they like watching mukbangs because it's like they're having dinner with someone because sometimes they'll talk yeah I have seen that before and there's also a thing in I think Japan in some restaurants where if you're dining alone because a lot of people do that there yeah especially if they finish work for example and they're just going out for dinner by themselves Mm. restaurants will have like these massive plushies that they put on the other chair so it looks like you're having dinner with a plushie (laughs) that's so cute like a massive teddy bear yeah which I think is a great idea I think so too yeah so as you said it can be for different reasons personally i find it quite uncomfortable to watch no yeah i agree yeah and they also mentioned k-pop diet because of this super skinny culture there's quite a lot of diets where you only eat a tiny tiny thing and that's pretty much it for the day like they mentioned having cabbage and nuts and that was their meal for the day yeah i watched some videos on there's like different k-pop idols and sometimes they'll eat apples and stuff like that because their companies will be very strict on like how much they should weigh i believe the ideal weight is 50 kilograms so no matter what height you are you have to be 50 or under yeah see that's ridiculous for tall people exactly but it is so bizarre that like be like 50 kilos no matter like what weight because i there's like some specific idols that are like taller and then you see them really struggling And there's also weight distribution is a thing. And if you're taller, obviously you are going to weigh more because you have more bone weight. I think that's just in the K-pop industry. There's like really, really high expectations from the companies, from the people who watch them, like some people who watch them. They don't act like they're human. They think that they're like little machines. And like, they're not. They're human. They're going to want to eat food. They don't want to go on diets. Sometimes people, when they come out of the industry, they talk about how they've had eating disorders, how they've had mental health issues because they've been put under such strict pressures with regards to like beauty and how they have to look for appearances. It's actually just really sad, to be honest. Because like you'll see them like breaking down and it's just horrible. Yeah, it's just very high expectations. And obviously there's such a set standard that's quite unachievable. Mm. So being British East Asian is quite an interesting documentary. It does cover a couple more topics that we didn't talk about, but I would recommend watching it. It's on BBC iPlayer and it's there for eight more months. So if you get a chance, have a watch. It'll take less than an hour to watch all of the episodes. Rina Sawayama's in it. 
and I love her. So it was a great watch. <laughs> yeah, so they did speak to a, quite a few different pop stars, which was interesting. Yeah. To get their perspective on the situation. Mm. So that's all from us today. Massive thanks to Taylor for chatting with me today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can let us know what you thought about it through a voice message on my anchor page or by tweeting me. You'll be able to find all of our social media in the episode description along with the transcript as usual. So thank you very much for listening and thank you once again to you, Taylor. Bye, guys. Bye.